Todd Lindbergh, I'm a senior fellow here, and uh, joined by an exceptional panel to discuss that issue, lessons emerging from the Jedi cloud, immediate steps, and the future of next generation IT at DOD. So let me introduce the panel briefly, and then we'll get in, on into the uh, session. I should mention that we'll be ending at 10.45 today. One of our panelists uh, wants to get on an airplane before the storm descends upon Washington, and I think that's a prudent uh, consideration, so uh, with your indulgence. Uh, first, uh, let me introduce Bill Schneider, who's a senior fellow here at the Hudson Institute and is heading up our effort that's looking into this set of public policy issues surrounding the JEDI procurement and other related matters of IT at, uh, at the Pentagon. Uh, let me also introduce Fred Schneider, no relation, I should say, uh, to Bill, uh, or so I'm informed. Uh, and Fred is uh, uh, the Samuel B. Eckert Professor of Computer Science at Cornell University and also chair of the department there. He's done uh, extensive uh, work on cybersecurity issues and, uh, uh, and has been uh, active in a number of academic and consulting aspects uh, related to those questions. And then John Stendon, uh, John's former Assistant Secretary of Defense for uh, Command Control Communication and Intelligence, CQDI, if I, uh, if I have that right. I don't know. Okay. It's not, not always an easy thing to get the, uh, the acronyms right. I may have to interrupt our panel from time to time if they resort to abbreviations and acronyms in discussing the subject uh, and uh, ask them to, to clarify. Uh, John's also uh, been on a uh, member of the Defense Science Board, uh, National Security Agency Advisory Board, and additional advisory boards, so um, uh, at a fairly high level of uh, technical expertise, both and uh, strategic consideration. So with that in mind, uh, I will uh, take a seat, and I'll ask Bill uh, to begin maybe by catching us up with where we are in the process with regard to the JEDI procurement. Uh, obviously, we've uh, there's a, an RFP out, a request for a proposal. And, uh, and Bill, why don't you just take it from there and catch us up on that? Well, uh, as, uh, many of you are probably already aware, the, uh, uh, the DOD has been in pursuit of uh, the, uh, creating this uh, uh, JEDI program for uh, several months. They've had uh, a few uh, in initiatives to uh, reorganize the, uh, the management of the contract and so forth, but uh, uh, there's, uh, the uh, bids are now uh, to be in. Uh, early next month, and uh, my understanding is that uh, DOD is uh, is uh, finished with uh, tweaks to the uh, to the uh, RFP. So it's likely that the uh, the contract was is likely to to take place. There's still uh, quite a few uncertainties from the perspective of uh, outside observer about exactly how the uh, various awards are going to be. Uh, evaluated, uh, although it's DOD and undoubtedly has the the uh, criteria they have in mind, uh, the uh, 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 we've had some uh, commentary about the the question of a, a roadmap. It's usually the case in the way DOD operates for uh, significant procurements is that they have a, a roadmap that indicates the long term. Plan and uh, they they have uh, produced one, but it has not yet been uh, published. So it's difficult to comment on it. But it's clear that cl uh, cloud-based IT architecture is is going to be a central part of how DoD uh, conducts its operations and supports 
U.S. military forces. So I, I think uh, we're, for better or worse, well advanced in this this pro project, and it's likely to uh, uh, be initiated. Whether it's it's going to be able to uh, work around the uh, uh, problems of uh, 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 legal challenges to the acquisition, which has often been uh, a problem with service contracts, it, uh, remains to be seen. Uh, but uh, I, DOD is clearly very committed to this program, and uh, uh, I, I think uh, it is likely to, uh, to have the initial round of decisions made next month. Okay, thanks very much. Uh, and let me now turn briefly to uh, Fred uh, and ask, um, why move to the cloud? What, what is the objective here? And what happens uh, once uh, a contract is let? A good starting point for why move to the cloud is, roughly speaking, what is the cloud? Um, commercial cloud providers offer collections of machine rooms. Each machine room has lots of computers and storage devices in it. And the result is, um, because these resources are shared among a large number of customers, they can provide uh, not only access to shared processing and data, but the access can be elastic, which means when you need it, there's likely to be the capacity for you to have it. Um, it means that you can do sharing between applications that might not be uh, likely to share because they're not co-resident. And it means that somebody else is managing the hardware and probably the software, which means you don't have to do that. Because the machines rooms are geo-distributed, it means that there's some measure of reliability because physical events uh, tend to be uh, geographically local. Um, so then why does it make sense for DOD to move there or for DOD applications to move there? Um, for one thing, the rest of industry is moving there, and that means large investments are being made in developing applications and services. Um, we could take advantage of that within DOD if we run them on the cloud. It also would enable DOD to make to take advantage of uh, two new trends. Uh, one is so-called big data, and the other is machine learning, where one uses automated methods to analyze and make inferences. If DOD doesn't position itself onto a platform where these kinds of things are available, then people won't be able to experiment because the data won't be there and the uh, computing capabilities won't be there. There are likely fewer configuration vulnerabilities if DOD moves to the cloud because um, fewer people are managing each machine room and they're likely to be more skilled and uh, more attentive. Um, cloud providers tend to be more attentive to security updates and so on. Uh, the stories of running very outdated versions of the operating system uh, are not stories that you will find in a cloud. On the other hand, a cloud would tend to be a monoculture. That is, the way to get this uh, scale is by replicating hardware and replicating software. That means if there's a problem with one, there's a problem with all. And uh, that makes uh, clouds attractive uh, targets or attractive nuisances. 
And if you're worried about uh, exploiting supply chain vulnerabilities, then knowledge that uh, uh, DOD were using a specific cloud would tell our adversaries what kinds of hardware uh, DOD is using, and that might allow somebody to try to leverage a supply chain attack. If you look at what's happening commercially, um, because of the last three years widely publicized attacks, the various cloud providers, many of whom try to work internationally, have started to make big investments in making their clouds secure because they are worried about uh, their foreign customers not being willing to do business with them. And the result is um, the desires and targets of commercial cloud providers are very well aligned with the idea of providing security for their customers, even if the customer is DOD. Um, and, and that means DOD gets to ride a trend that is surprising. Usually DOD has security concerns that are independent. Thanks, Matt. Uh, John, talk about this, tell, tell us about the scale of this procurement and how that compares to previous undertakings um, of DOD. Um, traditionally, uh, the DOD IT budget writ large, if you want to put in communications infrastructure and things like that, has been about 3 or 4%. Uh, that would be, these days, I got to answer $20 billion, something like that, per year. Um, I'm not saying it's the same today, but, but just as a, as a, as a number. Um, I think it's gone up and it's gone down. And uh, uh, that's a big number. The problem is usually coached, uh, in addition to what uh, Fred talked about, as we can save money, because this is a shared system and not everybody is wasting all of their cycles on the desktop when they're not there or when, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we used to have a really very secure IT system that was well integrated and had a lot of security and a lot of control and it was centrally controlled. It was called a mainframe. So when I was growing up, if you programmed a computer, you got a bunch of IBM cards, and you handed it to some guy and put it in a machine. And the next thing you knew, you went down to the other end, and you got this stack of paper, which was green and white, striped, and it had holes, and it came off of a reader. Now, those were actually quite secure. They were very efficient at using a very scarce commodity, and the users hated them. Uh, okay, and now, what is an environment it, that went from that to mini computers to client server to what is today an all out free for all in terms of desktop capacity, internet, I can go share with anybody, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Very vulnerable to everything that Fred talked about uh, disruption, uh, security. Cybersecurity is an issue of the weakest link. Uh, in the network, and so there are a lot of leak, a lot of opportunities in the current environment for bad things to happen. Uh, part of the issue of the cloud is to get back to the logical equivalent of the control that existed uh, in the in the old days, and the rea and the reaction to that is going to be just the same as I will predict. The reaction to that is, and the users will hate it because the. The succession of implica implication of control, implementation of control, will cause people not to be able to do things that they were used to doing. So 
I believe, first of all, the money is so profoundly possible. If it's really $20 billion a year and we can save three or four billion dollars a year of real money on real stuff and still have the same number of storage bits and compute power and so forth and so on, that's real money in a real world. And who was it that said Dirksen? billion yeah. here and a billion there, and after a while you got it's real money. money. Yeah. Um, so I think there's an imperative for this. I worry, given the distributed power in the DOD, that the money guys tend to win these job, these debates when the, when the techie guys get a little bit loose. I recall, and I'm sorry if I tell you stories, but I'm trying to tell you the real life. Uh, when I went into the Pentagon uh, at 9-11 time, and we were attempting to move everybody towards an internet system where we were much more flexible about getting information to people and so forth, uh, we built a dedicated fiber network for the DOD, which we did the right things to make it redundant, made it secure, made it very much more difficult to penetrate, tested for penetration, and all those kind of things. And it was done so that we could rapidly align data from, let me call it STRATCOM to UCOM, if in fact there were a problem in the Baltics and we needed B-52s that STRATCOM uh, controlled to get over there and that uh, they could actually interact between the command centers with very wideband systems with lots of good photos and all the rest of the good stuff. What did PA&E do the day I left the Pentagon? PA&E is... PA&E, excuse me, is... is, is it's not even what it's yeah, called it's anymore, but they're the, money, they're the money hounds in the Pentagon. It's what Alan Enthoven made his, his fame uh, with Secretary uh, McNamara about. They told all DOD people they had to use this fiber optic for their commercial communication so they could stop paying Verizon for their phone bills, so they could save whatever it was. Absolutely the wrong use of a command and control system, but that's what happens when you build a system of some complexity with flexible opportunities. So my issue here is I think it's good to go to the cloud. I would tend to believe you should think about cloud storage independently of cloud processing, because what you do with the two are different, and the implications are different. There's money to be saved. There's opportunities for better interoperability. But to give you an example, uh, when I was trying to make this internet-centric thing go, there are two pretty critical numbers in an Intel system or a DOD system, position and time. And the DOD and the Intel community could not agree on a common standard of how to measure time or measure position. Uh, now, it turns out all the interoperability in the world is useless if uh, you're using Greenwich Mean Time and I'm using Naval Observatory Time. There's a lot of money being made in Wall Street trying to shrink the time delay between somebody making a trade in Chicago to somebody in Wall Street in order to get the time tag right so that the guy who made the trade first gets, gets the deal instead of the speed of light getting in the way. Uh, well, I mean, that's a, that's a real life thing today, which has to do with if you don't have the same time, uh, there are real problems. That happens to all kinds of things. So one of the issues that I see coming 
is how do we actually use the cloud such that it is a positive uh, security protection system, a positive interoperability system, a positive experience for users who are not going to get overly constrained by the processes that go on top of it from competing empires. All of them perfectly valid, uh, none of them with a serious way to design in their own minds how they fit in the rest of the world. That's very different from Microsoft. That's very different from Google. That's very different from commercial cloud providers. We have an experience in the, the, in the intelligence community, happened in the last administration. They wanted to save $500 million? Is that what it was? Some enormous amount of money. Maybe it was $100 billion. And they promised they were going to save it in IT by going to cloud computing and cloud storage and save all the money of all these distributed systems and so forth and so on. And they set it up, and they ultimately put a system engineer in charge who was the deputy director of national intelligence. Very wise lady, used to work for me. Really knew about system engineering, no question about it. They assigned the job of the desktop environment to NGA, the, the uh, Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Uh, uh, yeah, the intelligence agency. They assigned the job of the uh, computing to NSA and so forth. Well, when you build a computer and you're going to have things connect to it, you need to know what that connection is. And NGA published, this is how we're going to interface with the rest of the world. But then they ran the procurement, and they picked somebody who didn't meet those standards. So I mean, I, I'm not trying to be, that's probably an overstated story, but it's close enough for government work. There are things like that are going to happen. And so I'm more curious about how they're going to manage the outcomes, because they're going to have to make trade-offs between user satisfaction real life imperatives and what whoever the bureaucrat is of the day in whichever meeting, because there's going to be meetings with five and ten people and them all having different opinions. How does that actually get done in the, in, in the real world after there exists a good cloud-based storage, cloud-based processing system? And we can talk about that later, but I'm not optimistic. I, th I think it will be important for DOD to manage expectations. Um, reflect back a decade ago about how computing worked. If you wanted to create some new functionality, you had somebody write a program that you ran on some computing platform. Maybe it was your desktop. Maybe it was some servers that your organization ran. Um, and uh, periodically, we would observe that we had a great diversity of these services and we would do better to centralize them. So for example, at one point, large fractions of DOD were told to use a particular email service rather than use the one they were using. Or we decided to use a single centralized authentication service, was called kept cards, I think. So um, there were these tensions uh, where there were advantages to centralization and advantages to decentralization of control. Decentralization let independent people come up with neat ideas and run with them. Moving to the cloud is not going to change any of that. Right? That's a completely orthogonal set of questions. Moving to the cloud will just mean 
instead of buying a desktop computer or using the servers down the hall, you're going to use the servers that the cloud provider makes available to you. So we should decouple the use of a cloud service as the source of cycles or storage locations from the tyranny or lack of tyranny for doing various kinds of centralized management. DOD may figure out a way to do centralized coordination of various functions. And um, they had that problem 10 years ago. They will have that problem for the near and foreseeable future because of the decentralized nature of how DOD is organized with services and a central thing. Um, so moving to the, we should have the right expectations about moving to the cloud. And if we have expectations that it will mean high centralization of services and so on, that needn't be the case. That's a separate set of decisions. Well, <clears throat> the, the, this uh, discussion about uh, uh, the, uh, about security and how it's maintained uh, 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 raises one of the dimensions that uh, of security that has not previously been the case here. Uh, a number of the uh, uh, players in the uh, DOD leadership have uh, uh, begun to emphasize the fact that the homeland is no longer a uh, secure place. You not only have uh, opportunities for uh, cyber operations against uh, U.S. infrastructure, but I'm reminded of the physical vulnerability of, of uh, uh, the infrastructure for uh, cyber, uh, not only the communications links, but the, in the case of the cloud, the uh, storage sites themselves where the uh, uh, hardware exists and the processing takes place. Uh, this week, um, uh, the uh, Russians and Chinese have had a large-scale exercise in, in uh, central uh, Siberia called Vostok 2018. In one region of uh, uh, central Russia, uh, in the uh, uh, Tula-Volga uh, area, they had a uh, mock attack on the power grid. At the same time, they were conducting uh, uh, these large-scale military operations at a at a, a, a training range in, in uh, central Siberia. So it, it, it illustrates the fact that uh, in, in addition to the kind of uh, cybersecurity that we're, we worry about day to day, we have uh, issues relating to the physical security, which are inevitably going to have to be rolled in to the way in which we, we manage this because of the, the fact that the uh, adversary will have opportunities to engage the uh, the entire infrastructure, not just uh, uh, attacking it at the at the, um, at the most vulnerable spot, as, as has been uh, recently uh, our experience. We're pretty far along in a process that is going to lead to an award. What are the key public policy issues that we should be thinking about now as we are ready to make that jump? Well, I'm with Fred. Uh, you need to separate the mechanics from the operation. Uh, I, I tend to think of the, of the problem as you, there are three elements. There's processing, there's storage, and then there's whatever you want to call it, the, the operational uh, integration of the two. So it is, it is how the problem is solved. So one can think of uh, storage being wherever it is, uh, 
processing bean, wherever it is, but when you want to do a search, you go to Google and you take a process that you know how to use and it goes to the storage and it goes to the, to the uh, processing, it happens to be their own, uh, but they've already gone out and looked at the web. So um, it's that third part that's, that's very, very difficult, very difficult to manage across a large organization. But if it's not done properly, the security of the whole thing is put at risk. The performance of the whole thing is put at risk. And most definitely bad, it's a historical precedent almost always instead of a forward-looking precedent. And so it will forever. So let me stop you there. Claire, tell me what you mean by that, a historical precedent versus a forward-looking precedent. Um, so I was used to using the telephone, and I knew what a telephone was. And when I wanted to do real-time command and control, I would open up a telephone line to my buddy at the other command and control, and I would never hang up. So I knew I didn't have a dial problem, and, I could, and, I, and he would be there. He'd have to have somebody there 24 hours a day. I'd have to have somebody there 24 hours a day. That means when trouble occurs, you can't figure it out, because you're talking only to the people you know. I'll give you an example. Uh, Lloyd Bucher is on the USS Pueblo off of North Korea in 1968, and the North Koreans are coming at him with guns. He has a telephone. It turns out it's not connected all the time, but he has a telephone. He's got a telephone number. It's a plastic lined sheet of paper. It's got 14 numbers. They're all spooks. Nobody on that list owns a, owns a gun. So he calls everybody he can. They're coming after me. They're coming after me. Four days later, Four days later, Washington figured out Marine F-4s on Okinawa could get there and bomb this thing and save the thing. But it only took the North Koreans a day to get it back into port. And so he spent nine months there with his crew and so forth and so on. That's the issue of you have a way of doing things. It's historical. It works. But it doesn't work in the next case. It's different. The opposite is when we went into Afghanistan, which happened to be when I was there last time, we had set up a system that people who had guns listened to a broadcast network, and people who had, saw targets talked to a broadcast network. And you didn't have to know who was your buddy, or who was going to shoot the guy on the left, or who was going to shoot the guy on the right. And the very first thing that happened in Afghanistan, there were some special forces that were out on, they weren't on camels, they were on horses with the Northern Alliance people. And they were having trouble with these guys up on the hill, so they radio to their guy, which basically relays it to, to this system. The airplanes that could get there listened. And about you know 30 seconds later, the top of the hill blew away. The guy who called it had no idea. He didn't call, I need to call division, and they need to call whoever, and all the rest of that stuff. It came. That's a very different world. But that was an ad hoc world in those days that people are now used to. Power in the DOD these days and to, to kill people, which is what they actually do, um, is horizontal. And, and if the cloud invokes processes or whatever that inhibit that, it's going to slow things down. That's what I, I'm sorry if that's too long no, an answer, that's, that's but I meant mm -hmm. you, you build, you tend to build what you're used to, mm -hmm. and not to build. It's a fundamental flaw of, let me call it socialism versus capitalism. Nobody's taking risk about the future. It's all looking backwards. Mm -hmm. right. 
So we say things because our heart is in the right place, and uh, sometimes we then move into a situation and you realize you made a mistake and you revisit it, or sometimes you have trouble resisting the temptation, and even though you said you would avoid the temptation, you're seduced. Um, if you look at the RFP, it's pretty careful about uh, requiring uh, the performer to provide the capabilities so that we, uh, DOD, does not get uh, caught with vendor lock-in. We have the flexibility to move to another cloud, and we have the flex another commercial cloud, and we have the flexibility to interoperate with um, other clouds at the same time. For example, maybe somebody provides a service that the winner doesn't provide, and we'd like to be able to import it. It's going to be very important that we think carefully when we revisit things on, uh, based on our experience, and we don't make decisions that will inadvertently make it difficult for us to have flexibility moving forward. Uh, and the kind of flexibility I think we should think about is not um, canceling our contract with the winner and going someplace else, but evolving to a community of clouds that are cooperating. The argument that we should start with one because it'd be a good way to get experience and we'll understand the picture better is a good argument, but it has to be an argument that's a first step to us thinking in terms of being able to take advantage of the whole uh, industry's innovations and being able to bring to bear uh, the best solutions when we can. It's very seductive to do things in a way that you can't exit a cloud. Uh, you might start by deciding, well, let's not spend the extra money to build our applications in a way that they are portable because it's just an extra cost. And you might start by saying, let's not run the drills where we move to another cloud for the weekend just to convince ourselves we can do it. And that's a slippery slope. And in some years, it puts us in a lock-in situation. Moreover, uh, the winner has every incentive to promote that, those kinds of decisions for obvious reasons. And so this is one of these cases where we are going into this with good knowledge that lock-in would be a risk for many reasons, and we have to, have to be strong about it and not do the cost-cutting in ways that would compromise that. Uh, in this uh, study, we've, uh, uh, although most of the discussion, the public discussion is focused on the process by which the uh, cloud services are procured, we've uh, tried to uh, address uh, three dimensions of it, one of which is, is the way in which it's procured to deal with the issues that uh, Fred has pointed to, but the other is the uh, security of the cloud. I mentioned the, the physical security uh, of the cloud, which is uh, not so often uh, discussed, but uh, is, is certainly a dimension of the security problem. But the third uh, dimension is to, to protect the ability of, of the government to, to uh, be able to sustain a process of innovation so that, uh, the, uh, that we can uh, uh, build on the, the richness of the, of the industry. Because uh, while uh, DOD is um, 
is moving to the cloud. Most of the larger companies have moved to the cloud, and indeed many of them are in, uh, uh, indeed I think a majority of the larger enterprises are in multi-cloud environments where they will pr procure specialized cloud services for specific applications. And uh, as, uh, um, as Fred indicated, uh, a, a a multi-cloud environment and, and being able to manage it that way. And I, I think that's probably where uh, DOD is uh, intends to head. Uh, some of the uh, DOD leadership have spoken of uh, trying to promote an environment of, uh, that they describe as fiercely competitive that will uh, facilitate the, the ability of the cloud service providers to, uh, uh, to present to DOD the full range of services uh, they can offer. It's uh, the uh, temptation that uh, Fred has mentioned about uh, 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 cutting costs uh, is, is uh, ever-present. The, uh, um, the, the problems that have been generated by the uh, uh, Office of the uh, Assistant Secretary for Systems Analysis, or as it's now called, uh, <clears throat> Cost Analysis and Program Evaluation, CAPE, um, is uh, is uh, an enduring problem uh, for uh, DOD, and this is going to requ require some farsightedness on the part of both the DOD leadership and the uh, the Congress to uh, to recognize the uh, uh, enduring importance of creating an environment where uh, storage and processing of of data in an environment where these are going to be the dominant features of the conduct of not only military operations, but the uh, operations of the Department of Defense in, as a whole. And indeed, uh, over time, the entire government is likely to be uh, using these kind of services. So it, it's uh, DOD is something of a, uh, a, a pathfinder for this, is, has a particular responsibility for being able to, to produce a, uh, an effective segue to uh, the uh, initially the DOD acquisition of cloud services, but over time, uh, the government as a whole. Jones, yeah, I, yeah. I, I want to double emphasize what Fred said. There, there is an experiment that's run by the government already, and it's operational, and that's by the Intel community, and they happen to choose to develop two clouds simultaneously, one which was commercial and one which was government developed. I told you one of the horror stories of the government developed one. But they both actually now exist. They have interoperability problems. But if I were involved in this procurement, I would not give the contract until the guy showed that he could interoperate with both of those clouds. Because that's one they're going to have to interoperate with, and it's not a theoretical problem. The problem will be for DOD to define the test that they will accept as this, because you can't just sort of wing it. And that requires, actually, that they tell the contractor the test they're going to have to pass before they start their work so that they understand what has to happen. I'll give you a counterexample. It's called medical electronic records, where the government chose to impose a constraint on the operations, not on the physical uh, computers. Epic, which is a company that's now very rich, uh, built their system to meet the requirements but made sure that nobody else could ever get them. And if you've ever changed doctors and you've tried to get your records changed, you discover it's not like pushing a button and getting it sent. So 
So the, this whole issue of what do you do after you have it is more than just how do I make the programs work and how do I interface with the users, but it has really significant issues, and you brought up two interfaces, and I would pick like that one, pick a the, the bombing uh, data for all of the big strategic areas in the world, which is held in various and sundry places, make that also be a requirement that this cloud can actually go to all of those and have it go to all the guys that have guns that could get to it. I mean, I would have some rather significant interoperability questions that lead to whether, in fact, you can meet Fred's criteria that we can move back and forth if we have to. So, so Bill brought up twice, actually, the issue of uh, security and physical security for the cloud. And it's probably worth spending a minute or two to understand uh, how that works. Prob the naive model is that whoever wins the bid is going to have a machine room. They'll hire people. We need to trust these people. They get to wander in the machine room. Whatever computation is going on, the computers is available to whoever wanders down the hall, and they might push stop and go look in the memory or detach a disk and take it home. Um, so that's not how modern clouds are built, and that's uh, not a fear. What you should think about is a building where these racks of machines are in locked cages. There are video cameras pointing to all these locked cages. And uh, the locks don't open while the machines are running. So if you wanted, if you were a malfeasant employee and you wanted to get to a machine, you would have to break in, and of course the video camera is recording this. While the machine is on, the data might be available, but uh, data that is kept outside of the processor board would be encrypted. Right? So when it's stored in outboard memory, when it's stored in disk, it's encrypted. And the only time you get to the machine is when it's turned off. And when it's turned off, all the data that you can get to is encrypted. All the data on the electronics of the processor will have uh, diffused out. And so um, you can think of Mission Impossible stories where somebody breaks into the, to the cage and has spoofed the cameras and so on. But it's not a matter of trusting the cloud employees, and in that sense, um, our current machine rooms have insiders that do have access to lots of information and have uh, employees that do have access to lots of information, and there are a lot of sad stories over the last few years of that happening. That's not uh, something that would uh, occur with a, a cloud provider. Their employees actually need not have access to any information in unencrypted form. And there are good ways to support that. And that's pretty much standard practice now in clouds. Well, that, that sounds terrific. But that, that doesn't mean the risks are, have been eliminated. Or right. does it? No, well, the risks haven't been eliminated. One risk that is ever present is availability. Right? You, the, the, the location may become available. The second thing is no system is secure. Some systems are more secure than other systems, and we 
insecurity live with that reality and you have to decide secure against what and what kinds of investments and so on. Uh, so what I described was was more secure than anything we're running today. Um, and that seems like that's an improvement. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, still, the, the physical security uh, is, is an issue because uh, while the adversary can benefit from uh, access to the data, uh, they can deny the U.S. the benefit of the data if they uh, physically disrupt the facilities. Uh, the, uh, I, I believe that there's, uh, uh, this, at least the initial procurement is, is focusing on three alternative sites. These would be uh, in uh, commercial locations, or they, although in, in principle they could be on military reservations or other ways of improving the uh, the uh, physical security, but nevertheless, there will be a, a finite number of these, and uh, as inviting as a target as they are to uh, collect data, they uh, they also will uh, the physical security will need to be attended to as well uh, as we do in in other uh, national security sites that are uh, important, few in number, and uh, uh, ex expose the, the nation to considerable damage if the uh, 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 sites are disrupted or destroyed. So anytime you detach the computing capability from the user, mm. there is going to be a risk that the tether can be severed. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, to the extent that we currently outsource serving, whether it's to a cloud or elsewhere, we run this risk. And I think this points to an important distinction between tactical uses of a cloud and enterprise uses. Uh, once, once when we deploy someplace, there's definitely not going to be a cloud there uh, for all kinds of reasons. And to the extent we become dependent on using data or processing capabilities that are in this new cloud service for actually fighting for, for the warfighter, there is going to be the possibility that those communications lines get severed. Uh, and availability be an issue, and we need to design those systems with some capability for de graceful degradation, for some plan B operation, and we also need to make sure we exercise it so that we're experienced in living in that world. The, the, uh, in the uh, solicitation, there are provisions for uh, providing cloud services as the tactical edge, which would incorporate the idea of, of uh, putting some fraction of the capability into a, a transportable uh, mill van or some similar uh, uh, device that, that could be uh, uh, maneuvered in the theater. But we, we also know that the communications links uh, are uh, vulnerable. The, the uh, uh, Russians are reported in in uh, the news media to have developed uh, mission equipment for submarines that are designed to cut uh, submarine cables, for example, that will uh, that are an important part of the uh, ability to move data uh, overseas. So uh, the, uh, as uh, Fred suggested, it's a, it's a, uh, a relative uh, security issue. Uh, the, I believe the security of the cloud will be uh, substantially improved over where we are today, but uh, the, the cloud also introduces uh, other kinds of security concerns that have to be incorporated in how we operate. I think um, 
since you've hit a nerve of mine, uh, when we were building this <coughs> system for the DOD back in the in the beginning of the of the uh, Afghanistan terrorist war, whatever you want to call it, uh, we clearly recognized that the tactical edge needed help. We had a program on the drawing boards called a TSAT. Uh, I don't even know what the T stood for, but in any case, tactical. It, tactical, it was exactly uh, to provide anti-jam communications to people in the field. To provide what? I'm sorry, to provide what communication? Anti-jam. Secure, can't be jammed by the Russians, can't be jammed by the Chinese. Uh, uh, via satellites, satellites could get blown up. That, that's part of this whole issue. But it was a mechanism to, along with the defense of the satellite kind of problem, to be able to solve this problem was a, it, we were going to use lasers. We, it was a really high tech thing, cost a lot of money. Uh, it was canceled, uh, which happens quite often when there are things like this. But it turns out the commercial world is providing it these days. So the reality is that commercial satellites that are up there flying and you can go rent it and put it on your roof or whatever you want and put it on the back of your Jeep are providing uh, systems that have better AJ anti jam capacity than the DOD's uh, satellites. And uh, they're doing it because they want to make money, so they keep the beam separate. I mean, it's a whole different world out there. I actually, well, uh, conflict of interest, I'm on the board of a company that does that, so I'm a little bit zealous on this. But I personally do not believe long-range connectivity to wherever you want to put the cloud, uh, cloud uh, connections is going to be a problem five years from now. And I don't think the cloud will be effective by five years from now. So. Where do we want to be two years from now? What kind of a conversation do we want to be having? How will we know how well we're doing once this contract is out? It, it seemed to me that we, we want to be able to show that, uh, that uh, both secure uh, storage and operations can be conducted uh, in, in the cloud, and that we have a, a template for how the cloud uh, procurement can assure DOD access to the innovation that's uh, available in the uh, in, in the uh, private sector, and that we have uh, that DOD has a, an acquisition process that uh, facilitates DOD's acquisition to a vibrant uh, commercial market. And uh, I think the path that DOD is is uh, is taking, where they are emphasizing the need for a, a, a competitive. Uh, uh, procurement in the long term, I think, is uh, going in the right direction. Red, where do we want to be two years from now? What What are the questions we want to be asking? What answers do we need to see? I'd be curious to see first who's moved and what's gone wrong, uh, and to be prepared to learn from that. Uh, I go to another of my nerve endings that are exposed. The DOD does a good job of doing large uh, let me call it information training exercises where they get people it's called they're usually called command post exercises where they run scenarios against uh, rather sophisticated kinds of issues they're worldwide kind of things and um, uh, one of the issues that I always wanted to test was the anti-jam capacity of the communications and the answer was and so it's easy you go in and you pull the plug and you simulate that that has been jammed well it turns out these same very large-scale operations are part of the training issue of the people. 
And so they have to get through these training exercises in order to get the check mark that says they have passed. Therefore, you are not allowed to, to pull the plug because they won't get their pass because they didn't actually succeed in the exercise because the communications were disrupted. And so you don't test the actual utility in the disrupted state in order to protect the training bureaucracy's check marks. What I would like to see in two years, serious people attacking the edges of this system in a real scenario and having them not go through the training exercise but go through the red team exercise of, oh, look at that. I broke you, and it only took me 32 seconds. Um, until about five years ago, uh, when you had a, a military exercise that introduced uh, uh, cyber operations, it, it was the end of the game because it shut the well, that's uh, the same. It must be, it, and, uh, jamming and denial of service are the same. Yeah, right. But then uh, DOD, uh, uh, Joint Staff, decreed that, that they had to play the game through uh, and they had to work through a, a cyber attack. And I think now as it moved to the, to the cloud, the, the point that John makes is, is uh, uh, especially pertinent because of the, uh, the dependence that DOD will have on a cloud-based architecture. Well, I think we've got uh, about 20 minutes that we can take some questions. And uh, if you'll do us a favor of waiting for the microphone, and uh, maybe you'll uh, introduce yourself, uh, and uh, we'll proceed. Thanks. Hi there. First, thanks for the uh, interesting discussion, important discussion. Um, I'm Matt Krupnik. I'm from Red Hat. And we are the leading provider of open source software solutions that not only uh, on which clouds are built, run, and managed, but uh, we also provide the solutions that allow any enterprise to build their applications and ultimately migrate applications and data in a way that does prevent, it preserves portability and flexibility, uh, prevents the lock-in that you very beautifully described. Um, you explained uh, the fact that the RFP asks and requires the winner of JEDI to ensure portability and flexibility, but you also described some of those ongoing risks and temptations and even incentives for the winner to uh, lock in those applications and data on an ongoing basis through cutting corners or otherwise. Um, what, if any, are the policy tools that we can put in place now to ensure that we don't end up down the road having uh, future lock-in issues, even though right now the solution requires portability and flexibility? Great question. Thanks. So with, with all due respect and no offense intended, uh, Red Hat is pretty low in the software stack. And um, many applications sit way above that. Uh, and there's the risk that lock-in is going to happen not because of the lower levels, but because of the particular enterprise application that's chosen. Um, if we required that any program that manages a database has the capability to export that database into a uh, you know, a portable form, 
And if we even in addition provided that there was some kind of input filter so that it could be ported to some competing application, that would be a way to ensure, uh, to, to liberate us from vendor lock-in. Um, I'm going to go back to a history of Red Hat. So I, 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 I defer to you that you have fixed all of this, okay? But uh, back in the good old days, uh, you were an open source operating system uh, attempting to create an environment which was very conducive to what you were talking about. And we kept saying, how in the world are we going to secure this? Because they change it every other day. And we had a big argument about, will you ever manage configurations long enough so that we can actually trust it? And there was a whole going around. Uh, even worse, uh, I personally had money spent to teach you guys how to secure your, off your operating system using the data that we know from NSA and some other places. Now, you can claim you didn't need it. But certainly, the performance of the system after we spent the money was better than it was before. So I believe the issue that I would like to generate from that, not pick on you, because you've been very successful at, at doing a lot of things that are noble and good, is it's the key that the knowledge that the government has about their special cases gets shared appropriately with companies that are making their money in a in one way preferentially over another, because that's how what you've been doing, is a very important issue. And it has to do exactly with the interfaces we've been talking about between the reality of a hardware suite and the actual getting the operations going. And I don't mean any bad reflection on Red Hat, Red Hat but there are always trade-offs that are involved in all of this. So, Please, yeah, go ahead. Microphone, please wait for the microphone, yeah. Uh, just quick to respond, our work with NSA has, back then, has made us uh, even more secure than any of our uh, competing. That was our intention. So, yes, so thank you for that. <laughs> All right, so you, one asks a question here at one's peril. Uh, how about another question? <laughs> yes, please. Uh, hi, I'm Naomi Idy with uh, CIO Dive. So I'm coming from a more tech perspective on this. While the vendor contracting system in, in federal acquisition is fraught with politics, I think we've seen it come into play a little bit more here. Um, and I think with the JEDI contract in particular, something that has been neglected is the actual technology that some of these providers uh, can offer. So prior to, I mean, we haven't even finished the RFP process, and there's already been protests against the bid, in particular from Oracle, and the whole the narrative tends to be we want a play in this game too that the giants shouldn't have it all but then I think we're coming to a technology capabilities question and so can you speak a little bit about the actual vendors at play and then also who is who is capable of these offerings um, as opposed to what's being politicized with their um, with the contract RFP process so would you like to um, talk about that a little bit uh, I, I just in the answer, uh, you'll you'll find this in all of the material that we uh, have uh, that we at Hudson have produced on this subject. But I, just in light of this this question in particular, I will emphasize. Uh, I'll mention that you know we have undertaken this project with the support of Microsoft and Oracle. Uh, from the uh, media coverage, which is the only uh, source I have on it, there's uh, uh, several of the major uh, players, including uh, uh, Amazon, 
uh, Microsoft, Oracle, and perhaps uh, um, uh, IBM as well, have this, the uh, scale and are uh, close enough on the uh, security uh, required by uh, DOD to be able to, to, to respond to at least the initial uh, offering. But uh, uh, DOD is, has not yet published the roadmap of how they're going to uh, proceed in, in this uh, uh, in the way in which they they build up uh, a uh, a network of cloud service providers. So let me let me just interrupt you a second. You, you, the second time you mentioned roadmap, what, what is it? What's what is the significance of a roadmap in relation to a contract like this? It's uh, become a, a practice of, of DoD to 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 give uh, uh, vendors and uh, as well as the Congress a, a long term perspective on how a particular uh, uh, a suite of programs or capabilities are going to be managed. For example, they just published a roadmap for the, the way in which DOD is going to procure unmanned systems of, uh, between 2018 and 2042. Uh, it's, uh, some systems, of course, are more of, uh, amenable to, to long-term a forecast of that sort, and uh, so uh, DOD has a, a roadmap, but they haven't yet published it. Uh, so I have no insight as to exactly what its content is. But uh, because they talk about uh, um, maintaining a fierce competition for these uh, services, I deduce from that, that that they have some plan to uh, expand the, the scope of uh, cloud service providers from what might initially be a relatively small set of uh, large firms that are capable of responding to the RFP to of, uh, a, a process yet to be described about how uh, the larger uh, cloud service industry will be integrated into the uh, DOD concept for procurement. I think you can go to any strategic planning course and one of the President Bush's, I think it was the first one, said that vision thing. Uh, but you need to know where you're going, and then you can have some view of how to make the trade-offs. I don't think the DOD has adequately described where they're going, and I think it's uh, those are kind of issues that we've been talking about, sub-elements. Are, are they holding out on us, or is it because they don't know? Well, in general, the DOD doesn't do things like that. They, they talk about procurements yeah. that are now, and they talk about research, which is the future. And I'm not, I mean, look, I've worked in DOD twice. They're like any place else. They've got good stuff and bad stuff. But in your particular case, I think you do need a strategic plan that says, are we going towards just the mechanical part of the processing and the storage, and we're going to count on some other system to be able to manage all of the operations, or are we going to embed it because we want to do big data analysis as part of this because we have an enabler? That's a very different definition of what the job is because there are more people who contribute to big data analysis than the people that do cloud centers. So I think this whole issue is what's the, it's, it, it's what I always used to say on any procurement, I want to know what's the test that I'm going to do at the end that if they pass, I'll pay them, and if it doesn't pass, I won't. You, you know, it's a good question to ask. I, there's good advice in this town about follow the money. I'm prepared to bet that the provider of the cloud platform is not where all the money is going to be. The money is going to be in the services that run on top of it. Uh, 
Salesforce or what have you. And we haven't heard anything about that. Um, but that's the way to make a fortune. Uh, and that's the way that smaller players are going to be able to participate. So this is just creating the environment in which that kind of a, an ecosystem can flourish. Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Mike Quinn. Um, I think it was Fred you mentioned um, access to innovation you know, from and through the private sector. Is there a true connection between these commercial cloud providers and access to innovation? Uh, if there is, great. I'd like to hear more. Um, if there perhaps is another way, if you could talk about that. And that, I really come from talking to people like General Das Jameson, some other folks that are in that community that are just hungry for innovation. They believe it does not come from the industrial complex anymore. It comes from the private sector. Um, just your, your thoughts on that. So it's interesting to contrast, say, the Microsoft Cloud and uh, the Amazon Cloud. Uh, Amazon makes money when other players in the private sector build services that they deploy on the Amazon Cloud, not because the author of the service necessarily pays Amazon. It may be that the customer pays Amazon. So this is uh, a way that Amazon wants to encourage this sort of thing. And that means Amazon wants to encourage um, lots of connectivity to their cloud. It means Amazon wants to encourage us all to have smartphones because that, right, okay. So the Microsoft Cloud uh, is originally designed to promote Microsoft services, so it runs Windows and so on. Um, I would be surprised if they're betting the company on everybody uh, adopting Windows, Office, and so on for their long term. I think if you look at what Microsoft's been investing in, it's been in um, machine learning models and the capability to be very efficient about helping people to build new models to manage data, right? They do that. They they will sell you the data. They will sell you the model, and you'll end up buying their services. So both of those. So they're two different, very very different clouds, and yet in both cases they're depending on the private sector to use their infrastructure to sell services to the customer base, which in this case would be DOD. So. Um, if, if anything, this is a very nice level kind of playing field where smaller players can participate uh, because everyone has access to these clouds and therefore you can do the design and debug and so on. In the old days when DOD managed, controlled all of the electronic and software kind of innovation in the 60s and 70s, um, people would, contractors would do work for the DOD and then marginally price what they learned into products that were actually useful on the outside. Now, a lot of those failed, but that's, that's what happened. Today, it's the other way around. And I think Fred was just talking about it. The DOD is marginally pricing all the technology that's gone into these big cloud storage and computing facilities done for different reasons with different uh, strategies, different end games, but they're trying to marginally price that and make it cheap on their side. That's good. That's the good part of all of this. Uh, nobody picks up government bureaucracy as their model of getting future things done.
Yes, hello, uh, Greg Hellman. I'm a reporter with Politico. Um, you know, I think everyone's well aware that DOD has received a certain amount of criticism uh, for taking a single source approach, at least to this initial award uh, for Jedi. Uh, one of the department's responses has been, uh, at least that I've caught, has been, uh, firstly, the Jedi contract is only going to cover a uh, smaller, less than 20% of the department's web hosting requirements. And they've also made a point that I think, uh, Professor Schneider, you, you, you've made, uh, which is that there's going to be lots of opportunities for service contracts uh, as a follow-on. So I'm curious um, what uh, all of your kind of take on this debate is uh, as a first question. And secondly, for somebody like myself trying to kind of get their arms around as much as possible the totality of the different DOD clouds out there. Is there a, a resource that uh, sort of lays this out that you would recommend? Well, uh, it's it's a it's a hard uh, question to uh, to answer. Uh, I I think uh, when the DOD publishes its roadmap of how it's it, it intends to proceed, it would would be easier to divine it because mm -hmm. now it, it would be. Uh, you know a few alternative hypotheses about how DOD might choose to uh, to develop the cloud, and uh, uh, certainly uh, the rhetoric that DOD has used around uh, its um, effort to solicit uh, cloud services has has emphasized, uh, in particular, the idea of uh, uh, assuring a, a competitive environment, and so. Uh, I, I think uh, we'll be able to give a better answer to that perhaps after the uh, solicitation is uh, completed and DOD has a more fulsome opportunity to explain uh, where they're headed. This is you know, really a bet the department kind of uh, initiative because that's how the department is going to be operating for the foreseeable future. So I, I'm confident that they will explain themselves in, in more detail in, in due course. You, you did say DOD has many clouds already, so a better way to look at this is DOD is letting a contract to get another cloud, not the cloud. And as long as they view it that way and it's the first step, then I think we'll be in very good shape. Yeah. Oh, I'm fine. Okay. Uh, do you have a do you have, do you have a point to resource for? Mm -hmm. uh, no, no, I, no I, I, the second part of the question was... Uh, yes, no, I understand. The answer yeah. is no. The answer is no. Um, well, nice try. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything? Uh, I think this is the place to go look. They run the uh, consolidated data centers, which is as close as they get to clouds, I believe. Yeah. All right, well, we're just about out of time. Uh, let's, let's just go back and... I'll ask each of you what you think we've missed in the discussion so far and ask you to for maybe a minute on that at, uh, at most. If you haven't, uh, I, think, I think we've brought a lot of issues to the surface here. Uh, we, there's a, obviously a sense that, that we've got a kind of moving target uh, and that it's very much a work in progress. This, uh, I come back to this term uh, pathfinder. Uh, that's because there isn't exactly uh, uh, an obvious path uh, to under, for an undertaking of this magnitude. So one thing that was missed is a long-term consequence of migrating enterprises to the cloud. Um, as we become uh, dependent on enterprise applications, that means disruption 
uh, can disrupt our warfighting efforts. Um, and it becomes possible for our adversary to plant stuff in these enterprises over a long period of time and then invoke them as a way of preparing the battlefield before there is an attack. So um, it's not very cloud-specific, but it is uh, consistent with our march to increased uh, automation uh, that we are going to have risks not only in what you would think of as the high-consequence high applications targeting and so on, but really low-consequence ones like uh, deploying uh, material and scheduling transports and things that aren't generally thought of as high-secure things, but nevertheless could be highly disruptive. So we will need to migrate these business functions in a way that they are more secure than we worry about today. Thanks, Bill. We'll just uh, uh, scratch the surface of the implications of the uh, large-scale integration of, of uh, data and processing to a, a cloud-based architecture. Uh, we, the uh, DOD evolution to uh, uh, the uh, employing the technologies of autonomy, for example, have, have uh, just begun. And they're not even really tactically fielded as, as yet, but uh, over time they will be extensive. So the, the uh, understanding uh, how the uh, organism will operate, where most of the data is uh, generated and processed uh, outside of the platforms that are engaged in, in uh, tactical operations or the support of military operations or the support of business operations of the, the department is a new world for uh, 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 the, the DOD, but is uh, uh, one that is likely to be replicated elsewhere in society with uh, 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 governmental institutions as well as private sector institutions increasingly operating in this manner. So it's it's very important that we begin to get our hands around the, the, uh, <coughs> the scope of this issue. John? There's a general rule about DOD procurements. Um, they are given birth by a semi-infinite number of meetings with all kinds of people, not the same people all the time, with conflicting ideas. It ultimately comes out as a consensus of negotiation of adjectives that go in the RFP. Not numbers, not facts, not requirements, but adjectives. A lot of DOD programs that are revolutionary really blow up in cost and schedule rather quickly and catastrophically after such RFPs. The ones that have been really successful have been those, and I'm not recommending this at the present moment, when Congress or somebody has cut the funding at the front end of the program right when it was announced, and that the contractor and the government had to skinny down to a level of effort of, let me call it system engineering and program definition, and what am I going to test at the end, and a whole bunch of discussions that have not been done at the adjective level, but at the real level. And then the process is that the government has to buy onto that as the new definition. And those programs are much more successful. So one that's this complex, I don't recommend that we cut the funding, because that has all kinds of other kinds of implications. But I do recommend that the government spend as much time worrying about how they're going to figure out whether this is what they wanted 
and, and use all of those arguments about what does the test thing look like, and then do a cost analysis of whether you can test it or not, and this program will be a lot better. All right, John Stenbitt, Bill Schneider, Fred Schneider, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. Those of you who have been watching online, glad to have you as well. Thank you.